0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Luke chapter 22. And if we could just celebrate with Landon and with Warren one more time. Yeah, what they said to us today. We have been in a series on the meals that we see in the Gospel of Luke. And as I have said weekly... When you read through Luke, you see that Jesus is either on the way to a meal, he's sitting at a meal, or he's leaving a meal. And as we read through these stories, we see the way that Jesus interacts with other people. We see the way that Jesus uh, displays love and mercy and grace. We see Jesus showing judgment. We see Jesus using the table to have conversations that need to be had. And the reason that we look at this Entire, in its entirety is so that we would consider the story that we are able to tell because of the people that we sit with at tables. So we're in Luke chapter 22. We're in a story looking at the, the first Lord's Supper. And if you are unfamiliar with the Lord's Supper, if you're unfamiliar with communion, we're going to take that today and we're going to consider what it is that we're actually doing when we say let's, we're going to take this bread, we're going to drink of this cup. And we're saying what my friends have already said today, that they have been buried with Christ in in baptism. They've been raised to walk a new kind of life. And every time that we do that as followers of Jesus, every time we take communion, we are remembering what God has done for us in Christ. So Luke chapter 22, go there with me. Picking up in verse 14. When, when the hour came, he reclined at the table... And the apostles, they reclined with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup after supper and said this cup is the new covenant of, is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. As you keep reading you actually see uh, the way the disciples follow up with this is the way that we follow up when God does spiritual things in our lives we begin to argue at times verse 21 But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me, for the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. Then they have a dispute over greatness. I love this text. I love the depth of the story and how it reminds me in my imperfection that God still wants to meet with me. Jesus has just laid out for the disciples what's taking place in his forthcoming death. And in so their follow-up to that is to argue about who is the most important person in the room. Who is the one that he cares about the most? And we see Jesus dealing with this. But here's what we see taking place as we look at communion and as we look at the idea of Passover and its transition from Passover to what we call the Lord's Supper as New Testament Christians. Three things you see if you're a note taker. One, we see that it points, it provides, and it personalizes. It points, it provides, and it personalizes. I, I'm not sure uh, for you if there are things in your life that you uh, can get suckered into buying with an advertisement. Anyone? Or if you're possibly the person who is walking at the grocery store, and as you're in line at the grocery store, you look to your left, and there are numerous things that they want you to buy. Anyone, are you the impulse buyer? Let's just be honest this morning. If you make impulse buys in the grocery store, just raise your hand. We'll confess that together. We'll work through it in our hearts. You see things, they are advertised, and you want them. They are not things that you can participate in. They are not things that you can have if you do not purchase them. They are simply advertisements, simply there to say to you, you want this. When we look through the entirety of the Old Testament, we have this story of the Jewish people and all that they have been through and why they've been through it. And as we look through this story, we see all of the the Passovers that the people of Israel would take, Serving as commercials. And they were serving as commercials for what they really wanted in the person of Jesus. And that means that every time the Jewish people would take Passover, every time they would sit down to have a Seder meal, that this meal was intended to say to them, this is but a reflection of what you really want. There is something greater that God will provide for you. We can, can even see it in the Jewish word for the nation of Israel. We can see it in the Jewish word for the city of Jerusalem. We can we can see it in the Hebrew word for for Egypt. Hebrew, the Egypt in Hebrew it means limitations, restrictions, and obstacles. The name Israel means struggle. Yet what they've been promised in this Jerusalem that God offers is a city of peace. God is going to provide something for them to bring them to the other side of their obstacle, to the other side of the struggle. God's going to bring them to a place where there is actual peace. God's going to deliver them. And the Jewish people, each time they would take the Passover, were celebrating that. Every other Passover lamb, though, was pointing to God's ultimate Fulfillment, God's ultimate revelation in the person of Jesus, but Jesus uses Jewish ritual, Jewish teaching to display and show how good of a God He is. Uh, he uses the Passover. The Passover is a massive part of these people's lives. Gamaliel is mentioned in the gospel, in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, uh, he interacts with Paul and has conversations about conversion, but he, this rabbi, the Jewish people said this, whoever does not explain these three things during Passover has not fulfilled the duty incumbent on it. So there are three things necessary for every Passover of the Jewish people. Three things that you would see, three things that we would look at and we will look at those because Jesus is those things. Jesus is our great deliverer. The first thing you see is there's a lamb that's involved. The reason there's a lamb that is involved is because it is pointing to the ultimate sacrifice provided to us by Jesus. When we look at the herbs that are part of the Passover, la- Passover supper, we, we notice those herbs are there because they are helping us to remember, helping the Jewish people to consider, and to think about this fact, that their lives, when they were oppressed by the, by the, by the Egyptian people, were bitter. And we are intended to remember the bitterness of that captivity so that we can consider the sweetness of our deliverance. We also see the bread that's there. It's unleavened bread, and it's delivered in haste. That's actually the, the, the what the book of Deuteronomy tells us. Delivered in haste, meaning the bread doesn't rise, reminding the Jewish people of how they have rushed away from that. All of these things are present. All of these things are there for us to consider. And you have this meal that they walk through. And as they walk through the meal of Passover, and I'm going to give you a very rudimentary Passover for Dummies overview of this, because I'm a dummy and that's the only way I can communicate this. You look and you see various things taking place. There, are, there is first wine that they would drink. Wine that was watered down. And when they would drink of the wine, they did not just drink of it in excess. There was an order to the meal. They would drink of the wine and the first cup they would have was the cup of blessing. And after they would drink of this cup of blessing, it's reminding them that God cares for them, that God wants to meet with them, following the cup of wine, cup number one. They would eat of the bitter herbs, thinking about their deliverance. They would then read the passage that Scott read to us a few moments ago, from Psalm 113, thinking about the hallelujah of God's deliverance. Now, I noticed as he read through this passage, we res- I don't know if we were still in a celebratory Fog from that amazing time of baptism. But as he read through this text, there are numerous things for us to consider and for us to be moved emotionally. Now, here's the thing. For many of us, we come from this school of thought that there is the idea of what the Bible teaches, and if we know what the Bible teaches, it doesn't matter how we feel. The problem with that is the Bible actually talks about the emotions of people thoroughly, Regularly. And the idea of us hearing and knowing who God is, we're called to respond with a sense of emotion. Not emotion for emotion's sake, but emotion for celebration's sake. Thinking about what God does. Thinking about why God does it. Thinking about how God loves. Thinking about the way that he shows and displays love for us. After they've drank of that cup and they've celebrated by reading from Psalm 1 other cup to remember the plagues. They will then eat more herbs. This is terrible. All they've done is eat salad so far. The salad, the, the, the herbs were made up of things like lettuce, made up of beets, various other items like that. Again, because their lives were bitter in Egypt. They then eat the unleavened bread. It is unleavened, as we said, because they were delivered in a rush. But the unique thing that was done by the, by the rabbinical teachers in regard to this unleavened bread, they placed stripes on it. They pierced it. Now thus far, in the Passover meal, there are two things that have been put into place by teachers that are not in actuality in the Old Testament. What does that teach us? That teaches us that our God can use whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, to tell his big story. There is no wine in the Passover meal in the Old Testament. But we know that God is going to use wine, ultimately by what we see in this passage, to say and speak of the shed blood of Jesus. We can look and we can see that there is no... Rhyme or reason to them putting stripes and piercing this bread. They are not commanded to do this by what we find. They do this, and they, in so doing, they show us the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus. All of these things taking place. The lamb. The memory of the... So after they've drank of the second cup, they eat of the lamb. And when they eat of the lamb, that's the last thing that they eat because they're supposed to remember the taste of the lamb. And they don't even have dessert afterwards. I'm not sure I'd be a very good Jewish person. But they don't eat of dessert because the last thing that they want to remember, that they taste, that they digest is the lamb remembering the necessary sacrifice offered. They will then drink another cup. They will drink the cup of thanksgiving, celebrating and being grateful for all God has done and why God has done it. And following this, there's another cup. Yet you'll notice in the passage that Jesus doesn't drink the fourth cup. Jesus goes a completely different direction. So while we see that the Passover meal points to Jesus, we see that God has provided more for us in Jesus. Go with me to the text. We'll look at it again together. When the hour had came, he reclined at the table. We talked about this a few moments ago. It's a very odd seating arrangement. Jesus leaning into the table, the disciples pointing in various directions. Not a very comfortable way to sit and eat. I prefer two elbows on the table with fork in one hand. And the apostles, they were with him. He said, I have fervently desire to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Even here, hinting to us that all of this is pointing to him. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Right here, the disciples are thinking, what's he talking about? Because in their hearts, in their very human hearts, where in just a few verses they're going to argue over who is the most important, and they're also going to have a whispering contest over who will betray Him, in their heart of hearts, they are thinking to themselves, He is going to establish an earthly kingdom here. He is going to establish a, a kingdom in this realm. Where they will undo all that Rome has done. Where they will undo all that was done to them by Egypt. They will be in the place of power, literally. But that's not what takes place. He takes the cup and gave thanks. When I was in seminary, I was in Fort Worth. And we would go to a barbecue place. So so forgive me, friends. I am from Tennessee, and people in that state and in much of the southeast, when they understand what barbecue is, they believe it to be pork. That is what you're considering. That's what you're discussing when you say barbecue. I, I, I will not... Confirm or deny what I believe about that. For me, throughout the entirety of my life, I've thought if it oinks, it's barbecue. If it doesn't oink, it's not. But since moving here to the nation of Texas, I've noticed that brisket's a good thing. I am pro-brisket. Br- and I can remember them taking us in seminary through a line. The first time that I ever went through a barbecue line where people were standing on the other side and they were serving food to you. After they served you your food, and, and real, I'll be really truthful with you, I, I got multiple meats, and, and then I got macaroni and cheese, and that was pretty much it give me two scoops of macaroni and cheese I was high carb then as opposed to the low carb life that I try to live now it's pretty miserable and I sat down at the table and we were waiting to pray But all of us are sitting around the table and there's no one who's really in charge. So you see some seminary students just kind of ducking their heads. Then there are other seminary students who were me. And while we're all sitting there, eventually a seminary professor sits down and he explains to us, we're going to bless this meal in the way that the ancient Hebrew people did. We're going to pray at the end of the meal, thanking God for what he is giving us. And he was just trying to be funny. But that's where you get this, where he got this idea from. They would pray, thanking God for his provision, because in effect, his provision wasn't there until they had their hands on it. When you look at this text, you see Jesus offer up this prayer of thanksgiving. And we see what Jesus has provided for us. We see that he has provided what the sacrifice is. He has provided for us the deliverance from bitterness. He provided for us all of the things this text is pointing to. All of the things that Passover points to. But he flips the script for the Jewish people. He flips the script for the disciples. Because when he does this, he is showing all that he has provided, but he's showing them more. He's showing them... That this is not simply a story that you hear, that it's a story you're part of. Which is what the Jewish people wanted with Passover. Whenever the rabbis would talk about the Passover meal, they were giving you this meal, providing this for you so that you would walk away and you would think to yourself, this very thought, I am experiencing what the Jewish people before me experienced. It was made to put you in the situation of your forefathers. Yet Jesus does something unique in the text because after he prays this, after he says these things, he tells them that the whole thing. That it's about him. He tells them that all of Passover has been about him. Now we, we're, we're very churched. Not all of you, but if you're here in this room, more than likely, I've seen most of you before. We are a church people, and as church people, we can miss the significance of what's being done when we take the Lord's Supper. Because when we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus is saying to us to remember that all of this is about Him. Well, of course, Chad, everything's about Jesus. You and Jared tell us that every week. Jared makes us sing songs that say that. We, we hear you. We get what you're saying. But do we really get what's being said? Do we get the oddness of what Jesus is expressing to the disciples when he tells them this whole meal is about me? Everything you've eaten is about me. Everything that you're drinking is about me. The stripes on the bread are about me. Do we get the weight of what takes place every time you're going to walk to one of these tables in a moment and put a cracker in your mouth? You're going to drink a small portion of of grape juice. How many of us just throw those down? Not considering what Jesus is actually saying to us here in this text. I've shared this with some of you before. It's almost like Christmas. Christmas. I don't know your Christmas tradition, but more than likely there is a a circle where everyone sits around and there is a member of the family in the midst of their Christmas tradition where everyone has finished their eggnog because you should drink eggnog. They're sitting there in front of Uncle. Uncle begins to read the Christmas story. If you're the Christmas story reader at your house, just raise your hand. Nobody. We need more of that. We'll practice if we need to get ready, guys. It's okay. Imagine that you're there, sitting on the outskirts watching as the uncle reads the story to the children. And when he gets to the point at the end of Luke 2 where he's talking about Christ the Lord, this, the one who's been provided by God, he shuts his Bible and he says to you, This story is about me. This very story you read in Luke chapter 2 is about me. You would think he was crazy. You would never go to Christmas again. You would push him out of the family. I know how families work. These men have taken Passover before. Peter's done Passover. John has done Passover All of them have done Passover, and they are supposed to do Passover in the same way that your family is supposed to sit around and have someone read the story, yet it was more significant. That family member saying the story of the Messiah is about them is exactly what Jesus has said. It's exactly what Jesus is telling them. But instead of Jesus being shipped to a place for people who have lost their minds, he's sent to the cross for saying it. Because that's what he's been saying the whole time. That, that's why the Pharisees were frustrated with him. That, that's why they hated him. Because Jesus has been saying and doing things throughout the entirety of his life to say, everything you've ever heard about God has been revealed to you in me. Jesus is saying, this story is about me. This whole thing is about me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. The old covenant. The Jewish people had a a relationship with God where they have a commitment to him and he has a commitment to them. And if you are familiar at all with the story of the Jewish people, they broke the commitment. They broke it fully. They acted in a way that displeased God. But there has to be a covenant between God and man. So we look at the person of Jesus who will die on the cross. We look at the person of Jesus who will shed blood on the cross. We look at the stripes on Jesus' back. We consider the piercing of Jesus' hands. We consider the wine that we think about as we take communion. All of these things are saying to us that there is a new covenant that has been made between God and man. And God, man, is the one who did it. Jesus offering himself up, uniting us with God. Jesus has just claimed in full that this Passover story is about the promise of God being sufficient and being unbreakable because God, the man, is the one who made it and fulfills it. So you can have your snack cracker, but I would pray you would think about it as more. You can drink the juice. But I would pray the weight of, what's being, of what you're eating there, what should sit on you heavier. Because we can make this a ritual. We could do this every week. We could stop by your house and do it. Do you understand that the historically speaking, if you were to miss the communion meal post-death and resurrection of Jesus, the leaders of the church would show up at your house to make sure that you took it. We miss it for soccer games. We miss it for football games. We miss it for recitals. We do what the disciples do. We make something about us that was never intended to be about us. And it becomes inconvenient to us even in that, we see the significance of the cross. We, we, we see how inconvenient the cross was for Je- Inconvenient to the point of death. Jesus says this, This is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. The word you there is a, is a pronoun. And it's, Jesus personalizing for us all that's been done so that we could be united and made right with him. This is poured out for you. My body was broken for you. My blood was shed for you. All of these things have been done so that you could know me in full, so that you could remember me regularly, so that you would not forget all that was done because I have delivered you from the bitterness of your sin. I have rushed you out of that and I have offered you myself as your necessary sacrifice. What a hope we have every time we take this meal. We're saying what we've said today. We're saying that Jesus is our only hope and that when we take the bread, it's because his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. That we were buried with him in baptism. That we've been raised to walk a new kind of life. And every time we take that small bite and drink of that small, minuscule plastic cup, we're saying that that broken body and shed blood are something that we will not forget. Let's not forget it.